everyone. Welcome to another episode of Homemade Ops. We have our special Friday Friends episode, and today we are so lucky we have Philip Burnett on the episode. So, thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for joining. Yeah, this is fun. So, Phil, tell us about yourself, your experience, Ooh. and why we brought you on. <laughs> okay, so um, right now I am the owner of Econ Mortgage. It's a Started out as a mortgage brokerage. We'll get into a little bit about the differences a little later on, but um, started out as a mortgage brokerage. I've been running my own mortgage company since 2012. Uh, before that, I have been in the finance uh, realm ever since about 2004. So yeah, I started really with my um, getting my financial licenses. So insurance license and health insurance and life insurance and didn't get my property and casualty license at that time, but investment license and mortgage license kind of got them all at the same time. That's kind of how I got my start. And then it kind of uh, morphed into just mainly focusing on mortgages. So I've been in the financial industry since 2004, been doing um, owning my own company since 2012. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Yep. Well, we met you a couple years ago and we were actually buying our place. Yep. We were recommended to us by Ryan, who we had last week, yep. about Phil can beat anybody. <laughs> He's the best. And so mm -hmm. um, we're really excited to talk to you today. And most of our listeners really are young. They're kind mm -hmm. of new to the real mm -hmm. estate game like we were. And getting a mortgage in my opinion, can be probably the most complex part of the home buying process. You know, finding what you like and finding your house is kind of the fun, easy part, but getting the mortgage can be really overwhelming and hard. So what's kind of the overall process people can expect when they're getting a mortgage? Sure. So I like to um, compare getting a mortgage to a marriage where the honeymoon is like finding the house and you're so excited and the mortgage is like the marriage license. It's like you have to do it. It's not going to be fun too much, but um, it's necessary to do it. So the, the mortgage process really comes with a bunch of yeses and it involves a lot of people. You'd actually be surprised at how many people actually are involved in the mortgage process that you don't see that are behind the scenes. You have everyone at the mortgage place. We have the title company an insurance company an underwriter. We have all these different um, facets to it. So the, the, what the home buyer should expect is kind of talking to an individual normally known as the loan officer and they will kind of qualify them. Right. And so the way that you qualify is normally an on and off switch is what I like to compare it to. It's a lot of people think, Oh, am I better qualified or am I less qualified? Nowadays it's either a yes or a no, either you are or you're not. We can go into some of the different loan programs later, but the first steps is you're going to be talking to someone, right? And so that's normally the loan officer. You give them a call up and you have to divulge your financial information to them. That may make them a little, little bit hesitant. One of the first questions I like to ask people just to break the ice is what's your social, right? Just get the hard one out of the way. People are scared to give their social identity theft. And I'm like, what's your social? Um, super used to asking that question, but they'll share their income information. Uh, if they have any down payment saved up, they'll share that information. Uh, they'll share enough information that they can pull a credit report and be able to look at their history of how they paid their bills and get their credit score. And off of that, normally it's um, depending upon how much a loan officer goes into it first, it can be a five minute conversation or it can be a really lengthy conversation depending upon uh, the information that the home buyer wants to know and kind of get that, get the details that they're looking for that way. So th that's kind of the initial steps that they should be expecting at first. Yeah, that's super helpful, especially knowing what you'll need to provide and not being afraid to provide that. Like yeah. you said, it kind of feels like you're signing your life away. Yep. yep. <laughs> you know, and, which, you know, it's a lot of money. It so is. you kind of are, but yep. awesome. Okay. So 
you are a mortgage broker. Mm-hmm. Um, what's the difference between using a mortgage broker versus, for example, just going to your bank? Okay. Perfect. So a mortgage broker is kind of think of it like an insurance broker, right? You can call up Geico, right? And you can get your insurance through Geico, or you can call up Allstate and you can get your insurance through Allstate, right? Or um, akin to calling a bank. If you call up Wells Fargo, you'll get a Wells Fargo type of financial product. A mortgage broker is designed to offer a myriad of, of products, right, from multiple different investors, right? So we have all right now about 11 set up uh, from our company. I heard actually that the average uh, for a mortgage brokerage is only like three to five. We go beyond that and offer more so that we have uh, the investors that will fit their scenario, give them the best price. So really mortgage broker allows them to broker the loan out to a certain company that they're signed up with where a banker or going directly to to a mortgage to um, we call them retail lenders in the industry where they're only offering kind of their products that they have. So a mortgage broker should give you more options. Usually they're better priced. They don't have a high overhead that's associated with doing banks, banking type transactions and things like that. So a mortgage broker typically is, is cheaper that way. That's that way makes sense. Yeah. And allows you to kind of compare a lot of different options rather than just, I go to my bank where I have my checking account and they give me what they give me and that's what it is. Exactly. Another thing to realize is that a mortgage brokerage is specialized in mortgages, right? Um, I bank at credit unions. A lot of times you go to a credit union, that person hasn't been in the industry for a long time and knowing all of the different parameters and details and information that's needed. And it can almost seem like you are kind of asking someone who doesn't have all the answers when you go to a credit union because they just hired someone, maybe a teller got promoted, something like that. They haven't really specialized in that mortgage side of things. So, sense. yeah. Yeah, and, I, and that reminds me that when we were getting our loan, I felt like it was really helpful. I'm an accountant, so obviously I like to understand the numbers and really get into it rather than just like, yeah, whatever. And I remember it was like late at night, I think like nine or 10 o'clock at night. And you sat on the phone with me for an hour and explained everything. <laughs> I, I was like, he probably hates me. But I was like, what does this mean? What am I paying? Yeah. What's the mercy? Yes, what is exactly. this? Yeah, exactly. So I yeah. think a mortgage broker can also help you understand the doc, you know, and walking through yes, all the documents. Yeah knowing what, you know, knowing what you're doing and adding a little bit of protection there, like, here's what you need to watch out for. Mm-hmm. I think that's where they don't have, like you said, just their products, just their company, where they're just trying to sell their product, where they could sell a bunch of different products. Yeah. So to them, it's about finding the best option. Exactly. They have to be a lot more knowledgeable about the whole industry as a whole, instead of just their specific product. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, yep. that's perfect. So speaking of that, what should someone look for in a mortgage broker? So how would you know a good one from a bad one? Or, you know, when you're trying to find someone, what what should you look for? So when you're out looking for a, a mortgage, it's going to be hard. Honestly, it's going to be hard because you don't know how many deals they've done. You want someone who's a little bit more experienced or at least works with an experienced company, right, that um, offers has been offering mortgages for a while. Not to say that a brand new mortgage company starting up doesn't have that experience. They could have been somewhere else. It's very common in the industry to bounce around to different places, actually. So you're not going to have a loan officer that's been somewhere 20 years, uh, very unlikely, because they oftentimes follow the commissions or follow the money that way. Um, But you look for places, you kind of have to shop. You kind of have to shop around. That's really important with mortgages. I think so many times people just go with 
who they were recommended, you know, and they say, oh, my sister used this person. My real estate agent recommends this person. So I'm just going to blindly say, oh, they must know what they're talking about. Well, not all the time, right? Not all the time. I even encourage people to say, hey, take my rate, go compare it, go online. Um, one thing that just came to mind that is really helpful is if you can look at a place's rates online, okay? So if you can go to a website, price out a mortgage, right? And will they, will they, hold to that pricing. A lot of the companies that specialize in mortgages hide their rates, right? They don't tell you what the rate is. They don't advertise their rates. Why wouldn't they advertise their rates, especially if they're good rates? Why aren't they just broadcasting those out there to the general public? Why are they keeping them behind kind of their process? Well, you have to get approved all the way and then we'll give you this form and that will tell you what your payment is and say, well, what's my rate? Oh, well, your payment's this, right? I've seen so many times places trying to hide behind, this is your payment, this is your payment, that's what you can afford, rather than saying, here's the rates we offer, go ahead and compare them to others. Yeah, yeah, I think that makes sense a lot because people think, oh yeah, yeah, I can afford the payment. That's all they yeah. look at. And they don't think about, you know, what am I paying for that rate? Is it a good rate? Is it competitive? And I like the idea of shopping at rates because I think that shows that you're working with somebody good if they're saying, yeah, shop at what rates I have because then they're not afraid like, hey, I know I can beat that pricing. Mm -hmm. And we were talking a little bit about earlier how with mortgages, it's all numbers. You know, it's yeah. not like when you're buying clothes or a car, you maybe you pay a little more, but you like the color better. Or, you know, yeah. you pay a little less because you don't care about certain features. You're going to be paying someone and it's going to be the exact same, you know, wherever you exactly. go. So all the what money are you is paying? green. All yes. the money is green across the like board. That. So whether, whether you're getting a $200,000 loan or a $300,000 loan from company A or a $300,000 loan from company B, right? It's not like their loan's better. It's a 30-year fixed mortgage in most cases or a 15-year or a 25-year. That product is the same across the industry. So it's, you're exactly right. It's not like, well, I like these pants at Ross, um, but I really like these ones at Dillard, so I'm willing to pay that extra. With a mortgage, it's your principal and interest and your rate, it's all the same. You're paying somebody that money. So it really doesn't make any sense not to look around. Yeah, and and when comparing different uh, mortgage options, I think one thing that we did that was pretty helpful and when comparing people is to think about, okay, here's the rate that I can get and then what do I pay for that rate? Yes. Like fees. So I think a lot of people get confused like, oh, this fancy shiny company said I can get whatever rate, but it's like, but do you know what you're paying for that yes. rate? I think that's where it can be a pitfall for people. The biggest misconception that I think is out there right now is that people think a rate is offered by a company, right? Company A is offering this rate. Company B is offering this rate. Well, company B is lower than company A, so that must be better, right? Because just their rate. So we 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 get frustrated, honestly, sometimes with people who we quote them a rate and they come back and they say, well, this other company is giving us a quarter percent lower in rate. I'm like, no, no, what? What are you talking about? We could give you that same rate for like thousands cheaper. What are you doing? And they just think that it's just about rate. But what people don't understand is rate is tied with fees, right? So I just had someone honestly on my way down here, they were emailing me and they said, I want to see 
all the rates and all the costs. And that's what you should be asking. You should be asking what's, what's your going rate? What's kind of your like, give me this rate if I ask you for a rate. And every company has that, right? They call it almost at par where they're not charging you for a rate, but you can actually choose a higher rate and get a credit to help offset some of your costs. Or you can go to a lower rate and have some, some extra charges in order for that. But that makes a lower payment if you have a lower rate. And so it, can kind of make sense financially to pay for a lower rate, get a lower payment, and over time, you're gonna be recouping that cost that you paid for it, but to see all those rates laid out, that's what you should ask for. You should say, okay, if the rates are at 3% today, which they're pretty close to right now, what is the rate or what's the cost for the rate at 2.75? What's the credit for the rate at three and a quarter? And then you can compare those same rates to the other companies, and that's what you need to do. Um, we were talking a little bit before we started about how rates move with the market. And so some places will, will say, well, two weeks ago, Phil, I got this rate quoted to me. Can you match that? Well, if rates have gone down, it's super easy. So when you're shopping, you kind of want to make sure that you get rates from the same day or very close to the same day because right now rates aren't too volatile right now. Um, but if you get a rate on the same interest rate, Sorry, get a quote on the same interest rate plus get a get it on the same day. That will help you be able to compare those costs associated with those rates. That's super helpful. So really, when you're starting out the process, you want to go to you know the different options. I have different brokers or different companies that you want to work with and say, give me this rate and what are the fees for that? And if you can play them all out, then yep. you can pretty easy to see it's just yes. numbers at that point. Exactly, and there's so many different fees and costs, and there's a lot of disclosures that come along with a mortgage that you have, that they have to disclose to you, but a lot of times it doesn't affect the cost of the loan. So we work with title companies or we work with insurance. What is that company quoting for their insurance? What's that company quoting for title fees? I don't have any control over that, right? But I have to disclose that potentially to my client and that may make my that may make my quote look more expensive when it actually could be cheaper based upon these third-party fees that don't have anything to do with it. So when you're looking at comparing rates, you want to compare rate, payment, and the lender fees and kind of throw everything else out. I think you made a good point earlier too. You're even saying that sometimes if you go for a little bit higher rate, then sort of the going rate, you could even get a credit to help cut down those closing costs. So I remember when we were comparing rates, it'd say like this rate, you'd pay a thousand dollars to get mm -hmm. or something. But then if you go a little higher, um, then you could get a credit decreasing your closing fees. Yes. So that's kind of an interesting element of it too. Yeah. And especially if you're talking about a purchase, this is really helpful because um, right now we're in a really competitive market, right? So if I'm buying a home at 350,000 and I make an offer and I say, oh, but I have these $5,000 worth of closing costs that we have enough for our down payment, but not for these closing costs. And you go in and you ask the seller to say, hey, will you contribute to these closing costs? And therefore that's, that's lowering their bottom line that they're getting out of it. So if you ask for 5,000 and they're buying, you're buying into 350, they're only going to net 345, right? But if you can go in and say, hey, I have this flexibility with my interest rate, then maybe instead of 3%, I'm taking three and a quarter and I can get some of that credit to pay for my closing costs. Now I don't have to ask the seller for it. And now that seller will net out more money and I'm more likely to get the home. So you can use it as a negotiating tool. Oh, that's super interesting yeah. too. And that's something that you could help people understand is saying, okay, well, here's the different options that you have. That That's super Absolutely. interesting. Yeah, I love that. So I want to talk a little about one reason that we brought you on the show and we, you know, personally liked working with you was 
uh, kind of learning about how your business model started, mm -hmm. about your career and what sort of philosophy is behind your business model and understanding the different motivations of different mortgage brokers. So I'd love to hear about kind of how your company got started, how you started your company and what your philosophy is. And I think to kind of relate that to helping buyers understand, you know, what they should look for. Absolutely. Absolutely. So when I got started, um, the first few years of my career were kind of playing around, figuring out how stuff worked, right? But then I came upon a realization that I realized how much money is in a mortgage. Like there's a reason that banks do mortgages. Banks only do things that are high ticket items, right? And you'd be amazed at how much money is that you pay over 30 years um, that, a, that a bank makes. So I'm throwing numbers out. I don't have my calculator here in front of me to do it, but Let's take, for example, if you get a $300,000 loan at 4%, over 30 years out, you're actually paying like $600,000, right? There's so much money in it. And that's just on the interest side. But there's another side that people don't realize, and it comes with what's called the service release premium, okay? It's when the mortgage is sold. So what happens is a company takes a mortgage and it's a stack of paper and the promise to pay them and all that, and they sell it. To another company, right? And you think about it and mortgages are front end loaded, right? So what it means is you're not paying the same amount of interest over the life of the loan. You're paying a large portion of interest up front. Well, if I'm a bank, I want to be as close to the front of that as possible because that makes the biggest ratio of interest to principal that I get a pocket and that interest is profit for me, right? So what they do is they say, Hey, look, if you sell me your loan, I will pay you a commission, right? And the commission's or a lot. Like, guys, it's like crazy how much mortgages can pay to that a company will pay to get a mortgage under their belt so that they can service it over the life of the loan and make double their money over 30 years, right? So when I started really figuring this out, and a lot of loan officers don't realize this, and this is hidden from a lot of the people who have been in the industry for a long time, they don't know how much money that's made what's called on the secondary market where that service release premium makes. And when I started to pull back that curtain and look behind it, I'm like, holy crap, like what is going on here? There's just so much money that is being taken from the client. And I'm thinking, geez, there's, there's this margin here and it's so high and it's, it doesn't have to be right. And so uh, I started my first company in 2012. It went by a different name. And then in 2015, I thought, you know what, I'm going to take a run at this and I'm going to lower my profit margin because that profit margin takes place when that loan is sold. That's where the company gets a lot of their money from. And I said, I'm going to lower my profit margin. Now, what did that do? Essentially, that made my rates lower. I was selling a lower rate, making less money on it on the back end, basically. And I said, I wonder if I can make a company work. Right. And I grew up being cheap. Right? I grew up in Roy. I don't know if anyone knows where Roy is. No one probably does, but it has like 30,000 people in it up in Weber County. Um, I'd, I'd be surprised if there's a home worth 400,000 <laughs> up there, right? Like it's super cheap. And I grew up changing transmissions, changing brakes. You know, I remember being under the car and getting brake fluid in my teeth. And, you know, it just we would make things last and we would wear things out and we would try to keep things as inexpensive as possible. And I thought, I think that's what the mortgage industry needs with that. So when I 
rebranded my company in 2015, I named it Econ Mortgage to be like economic. I was trying to like, there's so many names that I would have liked to have, but that one just worked. The domain was available. So I named it Econ Mortgage and had this idea of offering cheaper loans, lower profit margin loans to the client so that they could have those savings. And it, guys, it, it can translate into thousands of dollars for them. Yeah, that's huge. And like we were talking about earlier, it's a mortgage. You're paying it. You're not getting, you know, your mortgage in a fancy gold folder. It's all the same. You're paying the same person. So really it comes down to fees Absolutely. and understanding yep. that. Yep. That's perfect. So when you're getting a loan, and I think a lot of people get confused with the real estate process because they think, should I get a real estate agent or a mortgage broker? Like, am I going to have to pay them? For example, like if you go... You know, use anybody's service. Like you go to the doctor, you have to pay the doctor. And right. so I think a lot of people get confused about what services are available to them and how they get how those get paid. So how right. does it work with a mortgage broker right. so people understand do, to get a mortgage broker, am I going to have to like give someone $500 to hear a quote or something? Right, right. So most companies, almost every company do not charge an application fee nowadays. I think actually America First might. Um, I'd have to double check on that to see if they still do. Um, they used to in the day, right? And there were some other places that would charge it because they kind of feel like they could trap you in there. Well, you already spent money with us. Just keep going. Um, but almost everyone else, the quote is free. They'll even give you the, your credit report or pull your credit report with no charge to you. Because again, there's so much money that they have the potential to make on the back end. And so all the services that they offer for free are for free. So you can get a quote from one place, a quote from another place. You're not out any money. You're just out the time that it takes to call a couple of different places. Um, usually a quote is really easy to get. Like you don't need, you don't even need someone to pull your credit to get a quote. You can tell them your purchase price. If it's a, if you're buying a home, how much you're putting down your estimated credit score. Don't go using credit karma, by the way, those are always wrong. Um, subtract points from credit karma. If you're going to look up credit karma, take like 60 points off, but, um, give them an estimated credit score and they can give you a quote with that. You know, they need the property value, the loan amount, how much your down payment is or how much equity you have in the home. And that's it. And they can give you a pretty solid quote with that. They don't need to run credit and see your pay stubs and see your bank stem and say, just looking for a quote for it. That's super helpful. Yep. So there's not a lot of, or there's no really upfront costs. It no. really is just part of the closing, right? Yeah. And then as, as the loan goes on, uh, the, the mortgage company and the loan officer don't get paid by you. Okay. Um, they get paid on the back end is what we refer to it in the market. They get paid on the back end. So uh, back in before 2008 happened, there was a lot of, hey, I would I would charge a fee on the front and then I would make a fee on the back. And that has kind of gone away now. Some places still have, um, still have origination fees and that is just profit, right? An origination fee is just profit. So that's one place that they can get their profit. Then when they sell the loan, they also get profit there. And loan officers are typically on a commission level, right? And it's a percentage of the loan amount, okay? A normal loan officer is anywhere from 1% of the loan amount up to one and a half, one point seven five of the loan amount. It's kind of the range of that loan officers will make on it. Uh, a company will normally make anywhere from two to six, Oh, wow. On it. Like, depending upon the loan product, they can make as a slim margin, what they call slim, I'm using air quotes, um, up to 
like six. If you think about that, that's just as much as the real estate agent makes. And a lot of people have knocked real estate agents about how expensive a real estate agent is and is it really worth it? There's all this talk and buzz around that right now. Um, but in in the mortgage world, it's just as much. It's just as much a lot of times. And so you don't have to be out of pocket anything normally when you're doing a transaction. And if it's a purchase, you have to pay for maybe your earnest money, your home inspection, and maybe your appraisal. That could be all of your out of pocket upfront until closing, until you come to the closing table and have to put your down payment down, the rest of that. For a refinance, there can be no out of pocket, right? You don't have to pay for the appraisal sometimes. You don't have to pay for the credit report almost all the time. And so you don't really have to worry about being out of pocket or paying your loan officer to perform it because most of the time they're on a commission. That makes sense. And that's good. I think a lot of people have barriers with, there's just so much fear around what am I going to pay when I'm buying a house and what should I do? And, and it's so much money that you have to really know what you're looking for. So you don't what you can waste money pretty easy. You know, if you if you buy something and it's not great, be spending like $20, not a big deal. So <laughs> right. when you're talking about so much money, I think that's really important to know is that use those resources, look at a broker, get quotes because you have that available to you and it's not going to be out of pocket exactly. for you. Exactly. Okay, so we talked a little bit, I thought it was really great before mm-hmm. we started recording about kind of the situation right now in the market oh, it being a little crazy. <laughs> and it's so up and down. I think people are really nervous right now. We we're just talking to my sister who um, came over and she was saying she's all nervous about rates because they're building and, you know, what Where will it look like do? in yep. these few months? And yeah, you know, who knows where we'll be from there. It's been so up and down. But what I thought was helpful is when you were talking about understanding especially mortgage forbearance. So on actually a few episodes ago um, on our show, we talked about mortgage forbearance and knowing like what the options are and how that might or might not be a good option. And I think a lot of people, I've seen a lot of stuff in the news about like all these bad companies, I have to pay my mortgage or I have to pay my rent and, you know, we should get a break on that. But I think people don't really understand the economics of it where, you know, the people on the other end of the transaction are there too. And there's a lot of downwind effects and where this is kind of a buzzword right now, mortgage forbearance or even rent breaks and things like that. So how does that look in the economy? And tell tell us a little bit about how that works. Okay. Okay. So with the passing of the CARES Act, there was a provision in there that told mortgage servicers, you need to allow your borrowers um, the ability to do a forbearance if they are affected by COVID-19 and have a decrease in income. But they did not outline any requirements for verifying that they were affected. Okay, So basically anyone can call up their, their mortgage servicing company and say, I need a forbearance and boom, you get one. Right. And again, go back and listen to the other podcast about what that means and what that can do to you. But when that happened, when that forbearance happened, a lot of people don't realize that when these mortgages are sold and almost all the mortgages end up with a government entity, whether it's Fannie or Freddie, and that's the Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac or even Ginny Mae does a lot of the government uh, type of loans. So if they end up with them, they land with kind of those companies. And those companies are taking a group of the, their loans, they call them a pool, and they do what's called securitization to them. And they sell it as almost like a bond. It's not exactly a bond. It's called a mortgage-backed security, like a stock, 
right? And they're selling that to an investor. And that investor says, oh, mortgages are pretty safe. I'm going to buy these mortgage-backed securities and that will maybe give me a little bit better return than a bond. Um, and so, so Fannie, Freddie, and Ginny are securitizing these, they're selling them, and they have these uh, portfolios of mortgages and what they what people don't realize is when the government came and said you don't have you should allow borrowers to not make payments right the servicers who sold those loans to Fannie and Freddie the agreement between them and Fannie selling that loan to them they still have to make the payments to the investors that bought the mortgage backed security so all of a sudden the government came and said hey mortgage industry we want you to basically float however many people need it for however long they need it for up to I think you can get a forbearance like for 12 months in some cases it's crazy and and during that time yeah, you're not going to be getting a payment, but you still have to pay Fannie and Freddie. And that put a lot of pressure on these companies. There were some companies that like completely pulled back from doing mortgages. They said, nope, we're not collecting any more loan applications for now, which is crazy because that's their business. That's like Burger King just being like, nope, we're not selling any hamburgers anymore. And you're like, wait, what? What? I, I can only get fries and, you know, like an apple pie from you. That's not why I go to you. Um, so they so they pulled back to see kind of what was going to happen, right? And then finally, Fannie said, "Okay, well, um, I, I think some provisions passed finally, and they were allowed to be a part of the CARES Act and get some of that assistance." But then Fannie said, "Well, if you sell the loan, this is literally what they said. They said if you sell the loan to us." and it is in forbearance, we are going to charge you, the mortgage servicer, five to 7% of the loan. So if you think about it, you have a $300,000 loan. If you wanna sell that loan to Fannie, we're gonna take and charge you $21,000. So really the government said, you're not allowed to collect payments. Correct. And if you sell us a loan that you're not, not collecting, collecting payments, payments on, on because we told you you're not allowed uh -huh, to, uh -huh. then we're gonna charge you a fee. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and so these mortgage servicers were like, Whoa, what is happening? Um, they also said they will not buy any. I want to check my resources. But what I was going to say is um, cash out refinances have a huge penalty associated with them. So right now in the market, a lot of people are like, hey, rates are low. Equity is high. I want to do a cash out refinance where some places are like, yeah, if you do cash out refinance with us, we're going to charge you through the nose in order to do that cash out refinance. And so because of what the government do, did to try to help the economy out and try to help people through the pandemic, it really put mortgage servicers in a bad spot and the government wasn't willing to help them out and impose stiff penalties. So a lot of people are like, well, why aren't rates lower than they are, which they're phenomenally not low right now. But that's the reason why is because they're trying to gauge their risk in how many people are doing forbearances and if they're able to offload that mortgage or whether they have to keep it on the books, all of that. That makes sense. Another misconception I think people have is the Federal Reserve came out and said, oh, 0% rates, or, you know, basically 0% mm -hmm, mm -hmm. rates. And I, tell us about that story you were mentioning where someone <laughs> called you up and, and was asking for a 0%. Yeah, exactly. So we had a client call us up and say, hey, so I heard the Fed just cut the rate to zero. I want a 0% interest rate mortgage. And we're like, uh, that's not really how it works. Like, we understand that the Fed came out and did that, but that's a short-term lending rates that 
kind of affects long-term, but not really. Um, what really affects the mortgage rates is the movement of the mortgage-backed securities and, and the demand for it. So right in the right when that happened, that was about two weeks after uh, mortgages kind of hit the lowest I've ever seen. I've been doing this 15 years, 15 plus now. Um, and that was the lowest that I've seen them about two weeks before the Fed cut the rate to kind of help with the economy. But right when the Right when the Fed cut the rates, our phones blew up. I want this. I want that. I want this. And we're like, no, no, you don't get a 0% interest rate. The lenders are in charge of setting the rates and, and Fannie's in charge of selling, buying those loans from those servicers and things like that. So, um, yeah, it wasn't, we have not seen in zero interest rate loans. I yeah, and I think, will. and not having that expectation of, yeah, I'm going to get a 0% because the Fed said that. I I think your point that you had made earlier too is that really the market is what drives the rates. Yes. And the Federal Reserve has some influence, but the, it's not like the Fed says this is the rate and everybody has to use that. Yes, exactly, yeah. exactly. That's super helpful. Mm -hmm. So what mistakes have you seen when people make when they're getting a mortgage, especially for the first time? What things should people look out for that they can avoid? Okay, there's some misconceptions I wanna go over here, and then there's some things to not do, right? So um, a lot of people have been trained to really protect their credit being pulled, right? Which is good, which is a good financial thing. My credit personally is frozen right now. Like I just keep my credit frozen. And then if I need to access it, I lift my freeze and then I put it back on. I think that's just smart and wise to do and it's free and it only takes like five minutes to lift it. Anyway, um, so people can kind of get too paranoid about places pulling their credit. There's a period of time after a mortgage place pulls your credit, whether a bank or a broker or whatever, that another place can pull your credit and basically access that same report without bringing that score down. Now, how long that time frame is varies, right? Whether that's 30 days or 60 days or 90 days, I've heard of any, anywhere in between those, but it's at least 30, right? That you can kind of shop around. Places know that you'll shop around. So don't be too afraid of having your credit pulled. You have to get your credit pulled eventually. You have to know what those scores are. Um, and, and so that's the first thing is, is don't be afraid to do that. Uh, the other thing is people typically are afraid to get a loan, right? While I'm doing a mortgage, should I go out and get a car loan? Should I go out and get an RC Willie loan? Should I do this? Should I do that? And a lot of people, the, the best default is no, right? Don't do that. You don't want to jeopardize this. But there have been instances that I've had people say, hey, my car just broke down. I'm trading it in, my payment I'm looking at is gonna go up here. And I look at it and I determine, is that gonna affect their mortgage lending scenario? And in some cases I'm like, go ahead, you're fine. And just give me that extra paperwork because we have to document that for the underwriter to see, to be able to manage uh, and see what that does to your debt to income ratio, which is really how you qualify for the mortgage. Um, so those things are very important to, to make sure you understand how, the, how they affect it. Mistakes that I've seen, I have seen people go out and get a truck, you know, and it has been a $500 payment. And now I'm like, well, I hope you like to live in your truck because you're not going to get a mortgage now. And so be careful about uh, what's going on with, with the other things I've seen is a lot of people um, just getting a whole bunch of inquiries on their credit from credit cards or things like that, kind of trying to beef up their scenario uh, or their credit score, their credit history, and then immediately trying to go and get it. Um, I have a bunch of do's and don'ts and almost every do and don't I've seen 
uh, that's on my list. And I think there's about 20. I should have printed it out and brought it. But some of them are don't quit your job, right? But also know that if you do have a job change, it's likely you can still get a mortgage through that. So you don't, a lot of people think, oh, I have to be on my job for two years. That's a myth, right? You have to have a two-year working history, but if you just started out again and or maybe you move to a new position in a better job, that's fine. That's actually an improvement to your financial situation. And so, of course, that would be beneficial to do that. Um, yeah, most of the mistakes that I've seen, you can usually work through as long as it's not drastically impacting your situation, your scenario. The things I've seen the worst is um, I we were almost done with a loan and this person was moving schools. And but it was kind of a perfect storm. Uh, they were also having a kid. She went on FMLA leave, which is her right. Um, but then she told her employer she wasn't coming back. And she wasn't starting a new job until August. And I'm like, oh, we have to now wait until you actually have income coming in for that. That makes sense. Yeah. And what about... What would be the best advice you have for first home time buyer or first time home buyer? So, what are some yes. of your do, your dues for sure? Okay, so for a first time home buyer, a lot of people get enamored by grants and free down payment. And I heard that I can finance this and finance my closing. I'm talking about the loan financing. Like I can finance my closing costs. I can finance my down payment. And those types of loans that help out first time home buyers with down payment assistance are extremely expensive. Okay. Now what I mean by that, let me go through that because, um, I'm not opposed to them. I offer some down payment assistance programs. I offer some things like that. But what people need to realize is you pay for it. You pay for it. So a very common loan here in Utah is a Utah housing loan. Okay. And a Utah housing loan, what it allows you to do, it's based around an FHA mortgage for the first, for the first loan. And then you get a second mortgage, which I don't feel are the end of the world or bad, um, but you get a second mortgage that's 2% higher than the first mortgage. And you can finance, here's the kicker, you can finance, and you'll see how this works, um, up to 6% of that first mortgage note amount. Okay. So basically an FHA loan is at 96 and a half percent right now. That's the current guidance uh, set out by FHA. Well, a 6% second, that basically puts you at 102%. So you're going upside down in your house to finance your down payment, right? And now you have a 30 year mortgage on that second and you're kind of locked into that mortgage until that second goes away. They won't resubordinate unless you refinance through Utah Housing and their rates aren't the lowest, okay? Also coupled with that is the fees on a Utah housing loan are very high. And this goes for all down payment assistance, whether you're doing a, what's called a Chinoa loan, which is across the nation, or whether you go through some other product, the fees on down payment assistance loans are really high. And the reason why is because they don't get as much money when they sell it. So what they have to do is they have to charge you that profit margin that they would normally make up front. So now when you do this Utah housing loan, where you do a down payment assistance loan, you get a mortgage that gets you into the home. And that's a good thing. I talked to someone, I said, look, probably you don't have enough money for a down payment. You want to get into a home. I think it's a great time to get into a home. You should do this down payment assistance loan. Just know what you're getting into and know the ramifications. Whereas if you had your down payment, like for an FHA loan at three and a half percent, you wouldn't have the second and you would have a lower rate on your first 
right? But a lot of people don't have that money saved up. So I would encourage first-time homebuyers to know the differences between what can I get with a down payment? What can I get with a down payment assistance? What are the differences? Another thing that is going on with ours, we offer a grant. It's actually a silent second. You don't have to pay it back as long as you're in the loan for five years or in the home for five years. You don't have to pay that second back. And there's no payment on it. It's just forgiven, right? And I like that a lot more than the Utah housing loan because that, then I'm not financing a second and I'm not going upside down, okay? Because that second mortgage, eventually you're gonna have to pay that back. You absolutely are. Um, but with that, know what I could have gotten. What could I What could I, could I have gotten? The other point I was gonna make is um, on that program, it is 30 days in underwriting, Okay, so you apply for the loan, you get all the documentation with the loan, then you give it to the underwriter. So you're like a week into it before you get to give it to the underwriter and the underwriter is going to take 30 days to look at it. That's just the, the volume and the backup that they have right now uh, because of the demand that's going on right now. But sometimes the seller doesn't want to wait that long. So if you're going after a down payment assistance loan, understand the timeframes, understand the expenses, understand what it does to your transaction, right? If it's a refinance, sweet. Like I get, I have all the time in the world. We have a, an investor right now that's taking two months on an FHA refinance, but they're a lot lower. And so we tell people, Hey, you're going to, you're going to be exercising your patience muscle right now. And they're like, okay, well it's worth $2,000 because that's about the spread between them, um, between that one and the next, best lender that we have, the next best investor. And they say, yeah, it's worth it to wait. I don't have to move. I can just wait it out and I'm good to do that. So with if you're a first-time homebuyer, understand the power of a down payment um, and then shop, 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 shop. Please just shop, right? Don't, if your real estate agent says, hey, just go with my guy. And they love to promote their guy. Or their, or their gal, right? And they say, hey, you should go with her and she's going to get you this, the best thing out there, right? Don't believe them. Look at it yourself. Be smart. Look around. Say, what can I get here? What can I get there? Kind of just shop and then understand your options and have someone explain that to you. Yeah, I think especially with the with people, when people are building, they have a preferred lender a lot of times with a builder, which sometimes can be great, but they say, here's all these incentives. But... You know, if you're buying something for a hundred dollars, that's then you get twenty percent off. You think, oh, twenty percent off—that's great. But then the other option is fifty dollars. You know, yeah. like, but at full, you know, quote unquote, full yes. price, it, the fifty dollars is still cheaper. So yes. I think really, I like that idea of shopping around, where a lot of times they dangle these really fancy incentives, or like you said, the real estate agent says, "Go with my person. I'm gonna, you know, have this great option." But, and maybe they might be, but maybe. but you don't know until you look at the numbers. But no, I'm kidding. Um, I'm kind of kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so so a, a point on that. When a real estate agent has a preferred company, right? Your ears should perk up, right? Like, oh, something's going on here because there's something in the industry called a marketing sales agreement. And what this does, this has to take place. This doesn't take place on the loan officer level. This takes place on the company to company level. Okay. So let's say I want to market to Ivory Homes. Now Ivory Homes has a preferred lender lender right now. I'm not going to say their name, but they have an MSA. An MSA is saying this company, the mortgage company is going to pay a monthly fee, sometimes in the tens of thousands of dollars to the other company for the right to market 
their clients. Some builders will say, well, you can go through whoever you want, but you have to get pre-qualified through our place, right? Why do they do that? Why are they pressuring you to get a loan through there? One of them, well, we're familiar with them. They meet our deadlines. I understand that. I can understand that. But it's most likely because they're getting their pockets lined, right? Through a marketing sales agreement. There's been some with the CFPB has kind of looked into marketing sales agreements. The CFPB has come out and said, we don't like marketing sales agreements, but they haven't come out and made them illegal. Okay. So it's, it's gray. It's gray, but places do it all the time. And think about this. If I'm paying $30 a pair of jeans to sell my jeans in Dillard's is Dillard's going to have to mark it up to make the same profit margin. The answer is yes right? They're hoping that they can sell more of that and have more volume and make, make their profit over the volume that they get, but they still mark it up. And so a lot of times places come to me and they say, Hey, I'm building with this builder. This is the incentive that they're giving. Like, bring it, bring it. Let's look at it. Excuse me. Let's, let's look at it and compare it side to side and let's see which one wins. Cause when it comes down to it, it's how much you're financing, What's your payment? What's your cost? We were talking a minute ago about how, you know, especially with down payment assistant programs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and I think that kind of leads me to wonder about affording what you can afford. Yes. And one thing that the first step of the process, of course, getting pre-qualified, we talked about it's free, it's easy. And they just say, you are qualified for a certain loan amount. Yes. And a lot of times, I think people are kind of surprised what they're qualified for. So they'll get and be like, I can afford a half a million dollar house. I didn't think I could afford that. But I think people don't understand really how that's calculated and what that means. And I think not really knowing what their budget should be. Like we talked about, they just look at, I can afford that payment. But what what should they really be able to afford? So the, the first thing you have to realize is whatever you borrow, you have to pay back with interest. Right. I think it's really smart to come into your your mortgage appointment thinking, I don't want to go above this payment. Okay, that's you figure out what's gonna work for your budget. You can figure out what's gonna work um, for your work situation and things like that. And I'm aiming for this payment. Okay. Um, because what's gonna happen is you're gonna go out with the real estate agent, and the real estate agent's gonna say, Hey, look, this is how much you can buy. This is what your loan officer said you could buy. But look at this house. This one's, it's only $25,000 more. It's only $50,000 more. But look at this. You get to live here and you get to have this prestige and all of this, right? A mortgage most likely will approve you for more than what you want. A lot of people even nowadays are surprised at how much they can afford or quote unquote afford, right? How much they can get qualified for. And so knowing where your limits are and what you don't, you have to be disciplined. You really do have to be disciplined and say, we're not going to have a payment above this. It's going to be right here. Nope. We can't afford that. Right. Because there's all these people that get paid on commission. Right. And so they're going to be pushing it up. Right. It's been great as the market increases. Guess what? Because companies make more money by doing the same job that they've always done. And they, you know, they just make more money because the house values increase and the loan amounts are higher. And now they're, yay, now they're making money. Um, so knowing what you're going into and that you likely will be qualified for more than what you want to on that. So what are some of the false expectations people have when getting a mortgage? A lot of people actually think they can't afford it. 
Right? They think that they have to have 20% down. They think that they have to have perfect credit. And that's been, I feel like that's been forced upon the borrower by what companies are willing to do. And this is something we didn't talk about before, but there's something called underwriting guidelines, right? And underwriting guidelines state the risk that a company is willing to make in order to lend the money, right? And so you have to meet these underwriting guidelines. And there's guidelines that are written by Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac and Ginny Mae, and they are like the Bible. They're the gospel, right? That says, hey, this is what you have to do. This is what we'll approve. Because every company wants to be able to sell their loan to Fannie, Freddie, and Ginny. Well, on top of that, they also have the ability to put additional requirements, right? So a lot of people are like, oh, well, I went into Wells Fargo and Wells Fargo said, oh, I, you don't have a 680 credit score and therefore you can't get a mortgage. And so they think, oh, geez, I can't get a mortgage. When really, Jenny says you can have a 500 credit score and that's pretty low, right? That's a pretty low credit score. Now at a 500, you need 10% down. But then at a 580, you can get traditional FHA financing. And a lot of people don't realize that just because someone else says no doesn't mean that the answer is no, right? Just you need to ask someone else. Okay, is that an overlay is what we call it. It's overlaying on top of the underwriting guidelines. Um, I think Chase just came out and said they won't accept anybody below a 700 and with 20% down for a refinance. So they are putting this huge overlay on top. So, so look around and talk to people and see what's out there, right? I think that's one thing that a lot of people just think, oh, this person said no, so that means no everywhere that way. Yeah, that makes sense. And I think a lot of people, like you said, don't really understand, you know, what can I actually afford? Or if I'm pre-qualified or understanding kind of just how the whole process works. So it has a lot of fear around could I ever get a house, yes. you know, with what yes. I'm doing? Yeah. So so tell us about different loan products, how some of them work and, and what options there are out yes. there. Yes, yes. So really mortgages can be broken down into four different loan types. Okay, You have conventional loans, FHA loans, VA loans, and USDA loans. Okay, So a USDA loan is for rural areas. You think about farm loans, USDA Prime beef, like same entity. That's They're, what I thought of. I'm exactly. like, it sounds like a farm. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly what it is. But they also offer single family residence loans in areas that are rural. Now in Utah, we're talking south of Payson, north of North Ogden. Actually, you know what a rural area is? Park City. You can really? qualify for a USDA loan out in Park City or out in Tooele. <laughs> Closest one to us right here is Saratoga Springs. You can qualify for a USDA loan out there. A USDA loan has 0% down. It's not a down payment assistance. You can get a hundred percent financing with it. It's awesome, but you have to be in one of those areas. Okay. The other one that offers 0% down is a VA loan for veterans administration. Now, so I ask people, are you a veteran? And if the answer is no, that one's out, right? That's, that's a program that they offer. The home loan benefit for, for veterans goes through the VA. So USDA, VA, then you have FHA. FHA came about trying to help people get into the American dream of buying a home, right? So an FHA loan will typically offer lower interest rates for lower credit scores, okay? They're not credit score driven for their interest rates. It's kind of an on-off switch, like a light switch, like we were talking about before. Either you're qualified for it or you're not. doesn't matter what your credit score is, you can qualify for it. Now, a company may put overlays on top of that, stating, well, if you have this score, we're gonna charge you this much, right? But Fanny, I mean, sorry, uh, Jenny doesn't require that. Jenny doesn't do that, okay? Um, with an FHA loan, you have what's called mortgage insurance. And mortgage insurance in 
protects actually the investor, the one who's lending the money or servicing the mortgage that if you go into foreclosure, this was such a weird concept for me hearing about it. If I go into foreclosure, another company is going to make a claim on their insurance policy to pay them back because I promised to pay them. I broke that promise. They actually insured my signature saying that I would pay them, right? And if that's broken, they can go and get they can get reconciled by the by Jenny through that mortgage insurance and pay themselves back. Okay. We mentioned earlier this week about how I think a lot of people think, well, okay, I'll pay mortgage insurance. That's extra insurance for me. It's not for you. <laughs> no. It's not good for you. No. It's just another fee basically for you. We told them like, think about it like interest. It's just more fees you're paying yes. to protect them. Yes. No, it's hard to get out of mortgage in, mortgage insurance the very first time that you buy a home. On an FHA loan right now, you actually can't get rid of mortgage insurance. You have to stay in that loan. Sorry, you don't have to stay in that loan, but mortgage insurance is on that loan as long as you're in that loan. Okay. Um, so if you get an FHA loan, it's kind of built into it right now. It's set at 1.75%. So I, how it works is if you're buying a home and you put three and a half percent down, then the mortgage insurance comes on top of that. So you're at 96.5% with your three and a half percent down 100 minus three and a half is 96.5. Then they take one and a 1.75% of the remaining amount and wrap that back into the loan. So you finance it in. So you're financing that mortgage insurance. That's one form. The other form that they get on an FHA loan is monthly. Okay, so you take your loan balance, divide it by if it's above 95%. There's all these charts, right, that I have to keep in my head of how the calculations work, but it's 80.85% of the amount divided by 12. And that becomes your monthly mortgage insurance payment on an FHA loan. You have those two types of mortgage insurance. Now, again, if you're trying to get into a home, it's good to pay mortgage insurance, right? I agree that mortgage insurance is just another fee, but sometimes you kind of have to bite the bullet. Right? Just like you talked about, knowing, knowing what, what you're getting into. Yes, and knowing that, hey, FHA mortgage insurance, it's not gonna fall off. The only way that I can get out of it is if I refinance. So if I replace that with a different type of loan, right? The, then uh, the conventional loan, let's talk about that. So FHA loans, um, I typically use those for people with, again, down to 500. We have some investors that will go down that low, um, up to about 680. 8,700 credit scores. So you're in F, what, what I like to call FHA land between that 500 to 68,700, right? Then conventional loans are very credit score driven, meaning the higher your credit score, the less impactful the rate is going to be because of your credit score. So if I have a six, you can actually get a conventional loan at a 620 credit score, but at a 620, it's actually better, lower payment, Better for your pocketbook to go to an FHA loan, okay? But you can go 620 up to the highest credit score, 850, right? And a conventional loan, the higher credit score, the better your interest rate. It, it does impact the interest rate or on an FHA loan. If I get a 700 credit score versus a 660 credit score, likely it's the same interest rate. On a conventional loan, the difference between a 660 credit score and a 700 credit score is vastly different. The other thing is that on conventional loans, they also have private mortgage insurance. They call it PMI, okay? And that private mortgage insurance is a is a calculation based upon the credit score and how much money they're putting down. So the more money you're putting down and the higher your credit score, the lower your mortgage insurance is going to be. And it can be as little as 0.19% monthly versus FHA's 0.85%. So there's a drastic difference there. So if so no kind of understanding how those work will really help you know if the loan officer is putting you into the right 
loan product, I've seen people say, oh, well, I'm going to put them in an FHA loan. And they come to me and I'm like, why are they doing an FHA loan for you, right? Like you should do this and look, it's going to save you a hundred bucks a month for the, for the exact same thing. So understanding those loan products and kind of knowing those options. Again, there's only those four VA, USDA that are qualified based and then conventional and, and FHA will really help kind of uh, know your options that way. That makes sense. So last question is, what can somebody do now to prepare to get a home, especially if they're thinking the next couple years or even looking the next few months? I'm thinking about getting a home. The rates are low. I'm starting to get to that position. Maybe my family's growing. What can they do today? Okay. I would say the best thing to do is to save, 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 save. Down payment gives you so much more options. It gives you so much more flexibility in your loan products and programs. You're going to be in a lot stronger position um, and you don't have to go into these down payment assistance loans, right? They have these high fees on it. Again, don't feel bad if you do have to go that route, but saving that money and getting a down payment will just put you light years ahead of everything. Even if it's 5,000, you know, just a small amount. That may not sound like a small amount to some people, but yeah, in the mortgage world, it's kind of a small amount. But if you can save 10,000, 15,000, that will put you light years ahead of everyone else and it will make your financial situation a lot stronger moving forward. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Phil. That was awesome. Super informative, I think, for our listeners. And and it was a lot of really good information. So if we have anybody who wants to get in contact with you, we'd love to hear about where where can they get in contact with you and and learn more about your business. Yep. So uh, website and email are the best for me. It's econmortgage.com, E-C-O-N mortgage, all spelled out, econmortgage.com. My email is super easy. It's Phil, P-H-I-L, at econmortgage.com. We have a Facebook page. Uh, we have an Instagram page. It's kind of boring. You don't have to go there. Um, but those are those are kind of the best ways. You can also give us a call and uh, we'll get your message and we'll call you right back, work up quotes, answer any questions that way. Okay, so one thing that our company is doing right now is we're doing a giveaway and we're giving away $5,000 in cash for a deserving family. Okay, and you just go online, you nominate someone who's had a hard time due to COVID. Maybe they've been in a bad situation this year. It's kind of our way to give back and to say, hey, we definitely want to help people. We're out there, not only lower rates and fees, but here's physical evidence of doing that. So if you could go online, if you have someone that you could, even you guys, if you have someone that you could nominate for it, that'd be that'd be fantastic. And this just right on our website, econmortgage.com. We're calling it the econ helping hand is what that is. I think the deadline is by October 15th, but all the details are there on the website. So you can check that out. Great. Thanks so much. You bet. Thank you. This has been fun. Thanks everyone for joining us today for another episode of Helmet Ops and we'll see you next time.